What's going on? Welcome into the Friday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson. A huge game tonight in San Antonio as the Pelicans take on the San Antonio Spurs, a team that is chasing the Pelicans for that 10th spot in the Western Conference playoff race. We'll get to that game later on in the show, but we're going to talk a little bit about Greg Popovich, of course, became the winningest coach in NBA history just last week, and there's no better person to talk about Greg Popovich than someone who played for him. That is, of course, our very own Antonio Daniels, Valley Sports New Orleans television analyst. He joins me now. Antonio, I appreciate the time. I'm sure it's good to be back home in San Antonio, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's always good to go back home. It's always yeah. good to see Spurs fans. Absolutely. One of the best best fan bases in the NBA, that's for sure. And look, I think the big question is, at least for me as someone that did not play in the NBA, obviously, is people have the question, what's it like playing for Greg Popovich? And I kind of wanted to start off with that generic question of for you, who spent four plus seasons with him from 98 to 2002, won a championship with him as well. What's it like playing for Greg Popovich? Well, I think the thing we have to understand here, Daniel, is The Greg Popovich that we're talking about in 2022 is not the Greg Popovich that I played with in 1998, 1999. This was the beginning of Greg Popovich. And what I've been blessed to do with San Antonio being home is to see and be a part of the evolution of Greg Popovich, rather with him as a one of his players or playing against him as an opponent. And I I tell this story all the time. When you think of the NBA and how incredibly important patience is, I talk about patience all the time with our own particular team and how important it is to practice patience in the process. And the season that we won the championship in 98-99, Daniel, we didn't get off to the best start. We did not get off to the best start. It was a game in Houston where everybody got off the bus. Training staff got off the bus. Coaches got off the bus. Medical staff got off the bus. We had a team meeting on the bus at that particular time. And the gist of the team meeting was basically, listen, if we don't win tonight in Houston, Greg Popovich will probably be fired. This will probably be his last game as our head coach. We had that conversation amongst ourselves on the bus. Obviously, I'm not telling people something that they don't know because here we sit today talking about Pop being arguably the best coach to ever coach. We won that game, went on to win a championship. If Peter Holt and the governorship at that time would have fired Pop, you're changing the course of basketball history. You cannot have and talk about the course of the NBA without talking about the run of Tim Duncan, David Robinson, the San Antonio Spurs alongside Greg Popovich. No doubt about that. I mean, it's five NBA championships you're talking about with him, with the San Antonio Spurs. You talk about that evolution. And of course, again, you've been around San Antonio even after your career ended there. Where did that evolution go for him when you first started with him as he was sort of a brand new coach for them at that point to where he is now? Where where do you see that growth and kind of how he got to be the coach that he is today? And That's tough. I I think the thing with with me and what I've noticed in Pop is his ability to communicate, his ability to really seek out what makes his players tick. And a lot of coaches don't do that. You know, a lot of coaches are not willing to put in the time to do that. Okay, you're different than this guy. You know, you think about it this way, Daniel, as a father, you have two children. You love them the same, but you love them different. 
-hmm. What you tell one of your children may motivate them. And that was you said to one child that motivated them may break the other child emotionally. So you have to be cognizant of how to get the best out of each. Pop put in the work. Pop put in the work. You know, he is willing to go around and talk to everyone, but he's not having the same conversation with everyone. At the time, I was young, I was single. Malik Rose was single. Tim Duncan was young. So the conversations that he had with us at the time who had no children was completely different than the conversation that he had with David Robinson and Avery Johnson and Mario Ellie and Steve Kerr and Jerome Kersey and, and Danny Ferry and those kind of guys. But again, it comes down to his willingness to put into work the work to learn his players. How can I put you in the position to be the best version of yourself? So when you talk about he had different conversations with different players, did it come to a point, though, where he was treating the players the same, whether it was the Tim Duncans at the top or the guys that were just scratching the surface in the NBA as far as, you know, it's sometimes hard to manage superstars and guys that have been in the league mm -hmm. longer than it is for guys in the NBA. But I feel like I know I was listening to Vinny Del Negro talk about that a little bit of how he kind of treated players the same as far as his approach to them. W would you be able to say that? Is that something that's true with Greg Popovich? Listen, Daniel, I will be lying to you if I told you that a totem pole didn't exist on every NBA team. What Pop did is he coached effort the same. There are certain guys that have earned the right. Tim Duncan had earned the right. David Robinson had earned the right. Tony Parker, Monty Ginobili. We're talking about first ballot Hall of Famers. Avery Johnson. Those guys had earned the right to be treated different as far as their impact is concerned, as far as their freedom was concerned. What Greg Popovich did not do, though, there was no totem pole as far as effort was concerned. So, yeah, you know what? Tim Duncan could go on and shoot five times in a row with no consequence. As a role player, I couldn't. But I tell you what, if Tim Duncan missed his rotation and he wasn't where he was supposed to be, he caught the same wrath that Antonio Daniels, Malik Rose, and other role players caught that weren't in their rotation spot either. So that's the thing. He may have coached different as far as impact was concerned, but when we're talking about energy and effort, we were all coached as one. I want to talk about, you know, as someone in the media, when you, when you listen to pop as far as whether it's a media availability press conference, sometimes you can feel like it's a little bit of a, a, a not a rough exterior, but it, you know, sometimes it can be a little intimidating whether you're trying to ask a question <laughs> to him just based on what he is. Uh, someone was like, I'm not, I'm not going to ask him a question that, that I'm not even going to deal with that. But Don't I feel be scared, like, Daniel. Don't be scared. Yeah, mm -mm. But, but I feel like he's, that's, he's a different person on the inside and like from, as a person, um, what was it like just building that relationship with him personally, the type of person he was off the court? Because you see what he is on the court, but I feel like, is it a different Popovich off the court? Is he kind of the same yeah. guy? The thing is, is man, it's a lot of coaches, Daniel, that would tell you, you know what, I have an open door policy, but don't practice an open door policy. Pop was the type that would tell you in a heartbeat, I have an open door policy, and he had an open door policy. If there was ever an issue, you know, you weren't playing or you something was wrong with your minutes, your playing time, your inconsistency, whatever it may be. And you wanted to go in and talk about it. His door was always open to talk about. The thing I, I loved about Bob, and I still love to this day, is he cares about you. You. You know what I mean? It's not, not about you, the athlete, not about you, the basketball player, but about you, the person. You know, a little while back when I was at home, I took my daughter to a volleyball practice. Now we're coming out of volleyball practice. We're walking 
And we see Pop. He's coming out of the same school. Gives, gives me a big hug, ask about everybody, how everybody's doing. And, you know, and he sees my daughter at the time, who's 11, and she had no idea who he was. You know, he gave her a big hug and embraced her. Just that sort of, that nature, that nature that he has. And it has nothing to do with sports. It has nothing to do with him being the greatest NBA coach to ever coach. He cares about you as a person. And the thing, and we talk about this in reference to Willie Green, as a coach or as a player, when you know about you, that your coach cares about you as a person, look, put me in between those four lines. I would do whatever you ask of me. And I feel like that was the case with him for so long. I mean, their streak just snapped last year as far as making the playoffs. And look, whether these teams, some of them were more talented than others, obviously you can never count out a Greg Popovich team. I don't care if they had the worst record in the NBA or a team that's fighting for a playoff spot. When you're facing them, as long as they're coached by Greg Popovich, I feel like they always have a chance. I feel like that's kind of what you're talking about is how these players respond to them. That, does that seem to be the case? You know the thing with Pop, Daniel, and this is no discredit to other coaches in the past. So when you have the greatest of all time coached conversation, right, you can throw a lot of different names in there. If I say Pop, somebody else will say, well, what about filling the blank? What about filling the blank? What separates Pop for me is his ability to adjust to the evolution of the game. You know what I mean? So how we won the championship in 1999. And then they won the championship again in 2002. But then how they won in 2002 was different than how they won in 2005. How they won in 2005 was different than how they won in 2007. How they won in 2007 was different than how they won in 2014. Daniel, what we talked about in those five different championships is a championship that was won over three different decades. So think about the evolution of the NBA in those three decades. The rule changes, the difference in player, the style of play that's different, all of that. And what Pop has the ability to do was cater his offense to the skill set of his players. A lot of coaches can't do that. A lot of coaches is vice versa. I need particular players to run this particular offense that I have to run because this is what I know. Again, no discredit to other coaches. But the way Pop worked is he never asked Sean Elliott to be Bruce Bowen. But then he never asked Kawhi Leonard to be Sean Elliott. You know what I mean? It was mm -hmm. a point that it was all about David and Tim. Then it went from David and Tim to Tim, Manu, and Tony. Then it went from Tim, Manu, and Tony to Manu, and Tony, and Kawhi. Then it went from Manu, Tony, and Kawhi to Kawhi. And the offense changed throughout those three decades. His offensive and defensive creativity and putting his players in a situation to get the best out of them is unequal, in my opinion. No doubt about that. Um, a couple more questions for you before I let you go. When we talk about Pop, and I'm sure you have many stories, is there any of them you're willing to nope. share? Just nope, no, nope. nothing, nothing nope. about. Okay, fair, fair enough. <laughs> this, fair enough. This is a this is a family show, Daniel. <laughs> this is a family show. We can turn it into not one. This could be rated up PG-13 for just a few minutes here. That's okay. Uh, I do want to ask you. You did win a win a ring, and I'm always curious about players that win a championship. You ever? How often do you take it out? How often do you look at it? I mean, that's such a special, you don't? I don't. I, I'll be honest. I, I wore it one time. I've worn it one time. Um, I have. I keep it in a, in a safe at home. Um, and the thing, I go back and I look at it now, you know, with it being, what, 23 years ago? And there are a couple of things throughout the course of my NBA career. If I could do over, I would do over. That's one of them. You know, winning 
at that time. It was my second year in the league, okay? Winning at that time an NBA championship, but not really understanding the nuances and business of the NBA. So I didn't really embrace the moment. You know why I didn't embrace the moment, Daniel? Because I thought I would be back numerous times. Right. You know, shoot, man, we got Tim Duncan. We got David Robinson. You know, we got every Avery, everybody coming back. Mario, Steve Kerr. What I didn't take into consideration was injuries, free agencies, trades, complacency, all these other things that you really don't know about because it's your second year in the league. You know what, Daniel? I won the championship in 1999 in the Mecca in Madison Square Garden, and I never made it back again. So now to look at that ring, now I'll be 47 tomorrow. Mm. I turn 47 tomorrow. And to look at that ring now, it means so much more to me now than it did then, because I realize now how difficult it was and is to truly get there and be the last team standing. You said that there are so many players that go tons of seasons, a full career without ever stepping on that floor for an NBA finals and, and even winning a championship. So absolutely. Well, one happy birthday. And I hope you enjoy it there. And there's no perfect place for you to be then in San Antonio for your birthday with your family, uh, NBA champion, Antonio Daniels. Of course, you can watch him tonight on Valley sports, New Orleans, Joel Myers, Jen Hale and AD had the call. It's a big one against the San Antonio Spurs and their pregame will begin at seven. I love the stories about Papa. Love your insight on him. Of course, one of the best coaches in NBA history. I figured this is the perfect time to have you on to talk about him. AD, I appreciate it. Happy birthday again, and we'll talk to you down the line. For sure. Appreciate you, brother. Good stuff there from Antonio Daniels on Greg Popovich. Pelicans and Spurs tonight from the AT&T Center. Joining me now is Jim Eichnoff for Pelicans.com, the preview tonight's game jim it's a big one 13 games ago you're two games ahead of the spurs in the loss column as they've jumped the trailblazers as far as winning percentage is concerned um we always say how big these ball games are or every game's like the biggest ball game of the year but this one to start a road trip is pretty huge yeah i mean i've described it multiple times in different places as the most important game that the pelicans have played so far this season so i definitely have no problem discussing and emphasizing how significant this is. I mean, it's it, you're playing against a team that's right behind you. I mean, I know Portland and San Antonio are technically tied. They're both the same one and a half games behind the Pelicans. But as we've seen with Portland lately, they've really struggled. They've only won one game, I think, since the All-Star break. They're just kind of headed in a different direction. So San Antonio is the is probably the team that you need to most focus on right now in terms of just the goal of making sure that the season extends past game 82 and you make the play in tournament. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's very important from that standpoint. Um, we always say, you know, oh, it's only one game and this is just one game out of 82, but in a lot of ways it's more than one game because obviously the head to head element of this, if you win this game, you're two and a half games ahead of the Spurs. If you lose, you're only a half game and the Spurs will have clinched the tiebreaker because they're already up 2-0 if they win Friday. It's 3-0. So, I mean, in some way, you, you can't really say this is only one game because in some ways it's almost equal to about three games when you factor in the whole mix and, the, and all of the math involved. So when you look at this these two teams, and you mentioned the Spurs being up 2-0, what stuck out to you about these two matchups um, that, the, that the Spurs have won? One, the one that the Pelicans were here inside the Smoothie King Center, the Spurs were on a back-to-back, and you're thinking, all right, they played a really tough game. And they came out of the gate strong. And he mm-hmm. starts with DeJounte Murray, in my opinion. But what sticks out to you about those two wins for San Antonio this season so far? Yeah, I feel like 
the Pelicans beyond the obvious of some of the stuff that I just talked about, that there's some motivation there to kind of atone for how the first two games went. Um, the first one was in mid-December, and a lot of the Pelicans' rotation and lineups are totally different. So in some ways I want to throw that one out or mostly throw that one out. But the one in in uh, February was, I, I think, Pelicans were still in the mode of trying to figure out, you know, inserting CJ into the mix and try to figure out all of the rotations and everything. Um, but like you said, that I think that was a very disappointing night in terms of um, a game against a team that is close to you in the standings. And uh, I thought they've Pelicans have talked about recently that they want to improve on defense. And that was another night where I thought the defense really let them down. They obviously had a stretch, a recent stretch where the defense was great coming right out of the all-star break. But it's uh, I think the term that Jonas Valanciunas used at practice Thursday was some slippage defensively. So um, that's one of the things that they want to improve dr- dramatically. And that was one of the real main reasons why they lost the most recent game that they played against the Spurs. So when you look at tonight's matchup, we saw the injury report. There are a couple of guys questionable. Jose Alvarado, Devontae Graham. We still don't have Brandon Ingram. What's it going to take to take down the Spurs tonight in such a crucial matchup? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be another example of the the depth that the Pelicans have and that they need to come through. Um, you, you hope to have all of the, the two guys that are listed as questionable. I mean, obviously you hope to have them, but if um, if Devontae isn't able to play, you're going to have to make another change to the starting lineup. I'm not sure exactly what that would be. Maybe um, Najee goes back into the starting five with um, with her back back at one of the guard spots and obviously with CJ. Um, so it's going to be up to them to, you know, whoever is in the, on the court to step up. I do think that one thing that's a little bit encouraging is if, I mean, obviously we – we want everyone to play, but there are a couple guys that haven't played lately that have made contributions earlier in the season. So if you need them to get into the mix, you know, including maybe Tony Snell, Garrett Temple, guys like that, they've they've been able to produce and and show that they can do well when they when they're called upon. So um, hopefully, whoever is able to play, I mean, you're going to need big performances from them in in a place where the Pelicans really haven't had too much success over the years. I want to go back to the playing scenario because you talked about it a little bit with the teams that are chasing the Pelicans and the Blazers uh, really have not been playing well. You're looking at even chasing nine, and I feel like if the Pelicans didn't go on that four-game losing streak, didn't lose B.I. and C.J. for a few games, the Pelicans could be in ninth right now, the way the Lakers are playing here. But I think what stood out to me yesterday from practice, Jonas made a great point, and I think you were the one that maybe asked him about it, or maybe it was Ali Cosella, is about they kind of control their own destiny. And I feel like that is one advantage that the Pelicans have is, yeah, we're scoreboard watching right now, but most of the scoreboard watching is teams that are chasing us. But if you take care of your own your own stuff and take care of your own games, then none of this you really have to worry about. Yeah, that, that's definitely the case. I mean, this is a pretty tough road trip where they have San Antonio, Atlanta, and Charlotte coming up. But even if you win, just starting out with a win against San Antonio, I feel like the Pelicans are in position to, um, in the near future, there's 13 games left, but if you can get a, a decent amount of wins coming up over the next week or two, you could put yourself in position where you are passing the Lakers. That could actually happen as soon as tonight if the if the Pelicans win in San Antonio and the Lakers lose at Toronto. The Lakers are trying to end 11-game road losing streak 
you could be in um, ninth place, which is something that has felt like a tease. It's been like a carrot dangling in mm -hmm. front of us that's right. been right there so many times. And I remember, I forget how long ago this was, maybe a week or two ago when the Lakers were playing Golden State, and if the Warriors had closed out that game, they were up maybe 10 or so in the second half, the Pelicans would have been in ninth place. There's been so many times where it was this close to happening. Um, so I think New Orleans can easily, I shouldn't say easily, but if they just win a few games, they could be in good position for ninth as well as create somewhat of a cushion on, on 10th place. And I think that's what I want to see. I want to have them be in a position where you can almost start saying like, okay, now they're securely in the play-in tournament. And instead of having to root, you know, big time against Portland, San Antonio, and, you know, Sacramento is pretty distant in the mix, but they're still there. They're still alive. Instead of having to worry so much about them, you can start to say, okay, Pelicans are looking good for ninth place. They're going to have a home game in that 9-10 play-in. And now you can kind of look at, okay, who would you rather play against? Who do you want to be bounced out of the picture? Whereas right now it's like you pretty much, you're always needing any of these other combinations of teams to lose as much as possible. I have to comb through the rest of the schedule, but this is before I let you go here, that when you're looking at the last 13 games, I know the Pelicans, by record, have an easier schedule than most of the other teams that you're battling for. But at the same time, all of these teams are still battling for something as of now. When you look at this road trip, Spurs are in the hunt. The Hawks and the Hornets are battling each other for playing seating and to stay in the playing race. And you come mm -hmm. back to, to Chicago they're battling for seeding in the Eastern Conference, and it's the Spurs, the Lakers again on a back-to-back, -back, and then the Pelicans hit the road for the West Coast trip against Portland, who's still in it. The Clippers and the Lakers will be fighting for seeding potentially still, and then maybe the Kings are the last team. By that time, they might be eliminated, but these next stretch of games are against teams that, yeah, they may not have the best record one year the Pelicans, but they're all still playing for something, which, again, uh, it's it, this is going to be a, an interesting two weeks for the Yeah. Orleans. I really think this is going to be really interesting to watch, like you said, and it's going to be – I really do like the fact that there are so many head-to-head -head games where um, you're not dependent on other teams to win. I mean, that's been the case lately where there's been so many games that that don't involve, you know, any group of – combination of these teams playing against each other. So um, I, I definitely look forward to that. I, I feel like – I mean, that's another reason why if the Pelicans can play some good basketball, they'll be able to separate themselves and give themselves a situation where towards the end of the regular season, I know this is a, a hope that you won't, you know, a wish that I hope comes true, but um, to where even you don't have to sweat it out the last weekend of the season of saying like, okay, these have to be wins and these teams have to lose. It would be great to be able to maybe even rest up, rest the guys a little bit at the end heading into that play-in tournament. Um, I haven't looked, other than the Pelicans' schedule, I haven't looked too in-depth. But one thing I noticed is uh, San Antonio has three games against Portland. And with the way that Portland is playing, um, you know, it's you, we, there's no guarantees. Who knows what's going to happen? I'm not going to make any predictions. But it's another reason why I think it's very important for the Pelicans to get some cushion between them and the Spurs, not to mention the fact that they play the Spurs again next weekend. So, I mean, the importance of the game Friday to me is beyond obvious of, of how significant that is that, um, you, you want to be able to get a few, at least a couple games. I mean, to me, the difference between two and a half games ahead and a half game ahead is just 
so big, like a half game ahead is they're breathing down your neck, two and a half, especially, I mean, honestly, the way that all of these teams have played lately, two and a half games is a lot because, I mean, you're talking, if you're two and a half games behind, you're going to have to put together a really good consistent stretch of a couple weeks of basketball to be able to make up that gap. And right now it doesn't seem like any of these teams have been able to do that. So, I mean, that's that that's what makes Friday such a such an important game for both teams to try to get. Yep, tonight should be exciting and nerve-wracking at the same time. Pelicans and Spurs from the AT&T Center. I'll have Pelicans warm up for you at 7 o'clock. Todd Graffinini, John the Shazer, Aaron Summers are all the call at 7.30 on ESPN New Orleans at 100.3 FM. Joel Myers, Antonio Daniels, Jen Hale will have the call on Bally Sports New Orleans. And who knows, maybe Jamaican Offer will make a post-game appearance as we are both here in New Orleans for tonight's game. Jim, I appreciate it. Let's go get a win tonight. Yes, and I will be there in the studio. That is my plan. Breaking so. news can confirm Jim I can offer in studio <laughs> post game. So, chance to give us a call here, hopefully, talking about a Pelicans win. That'll do it for today's broadcast. Again, big thanks to Antonio Daniels to talk about Greg Popovich and the all time winningest coach in NBA history. And we'll have plenty more for you next week as the Pelicans will be taking on the Hornets on Monday. And that'll be when we have our next podcast. Until then, for Jim and Antonio, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek.